Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, I'm Molly Sims. And I'm Amisha Gormley. We're two girls obsessed with one thing, beauty. beauty. And by that, we mean everything that makes you look and feel beautiful. We're calling on our favorite health experts, industry insiders, and friends to answer all your beauty questions. With a drink in hand. Definitely with a drink in hand. (laughs) You're listening to Lipstick on the Rim with Molly Sims. All right. This is a very, I mean, I I could not be more excited, Emisha. I mean, we all know... You and I have a secret, not so secret, enjoyment, passion for good food. Good, Well, I like good food and good wine. And I love good wine. And even though we do, we love a Paloma. We love a good wine. We love a good wine. Today's guest was actually recommended by a, another one of our favorite doctors, Dr. Will Cole. In episode 28, we talked about gut health. But today is the day that Emisha and I are saying goodbye to hangovers and hello to better gut health while drinking wine with Todd White. Todd, Mr. White, King White, is the founder of the world's premier natural wine club, Dry Farm Wines. He is coming at us today from Napa Valley, from the headquarters. Dry Farm Wines vets every wine and grower with strict attention to detail. They provide certification of their own where they judge the wine off three main categories. And Todd's going to get into this in a little bit, but it's farming, purity, and taste. We are such big fans. Literally, since Will, Dr. Cole, told us about you, we have been on the hunt for really great wines. Yeah. And we have so many myths we've got. We want to debunk some myths. I mean, right here, natural wines can build a better gut. Let's just start with that opening sentence because that is something you don't often hear. And we'd like to hear more about that. Because we need to know why drinking wine can be good for you. Our listeners need to know why drinking wine is a must. We're so excited to have you here. Well, I'm excited to be here. And there's a lot of reasons why drinking wine is a great idea. That being said, the problem is there's a lot of problems with wine. And, you know, Dr. Will Cole and I have been on a number of panels together. And so there's a lot of misinformation and then the the dirty, dark secrets of the wine business. Right. And so I think it's, let, let me address your first question first. What does wine have to do with gut health? Natural wines unlike conventional wines. And conventional wines are everything that's not natural. Natural wine is a very confusing term to consumers because 
I tell people, oh, I sell natural wine. They're like, aren't all wines natural? And they're not for the reasons that we're going to talk about. A very small percentage of wines are natural. But here's why natural wines are helpful to the gut microbiome. Because the natural wine has not been sterilized with sulfur dioxide. So all conventional wines have been killed or sterilized, and everything in them has been killed, including gut-friendly bacteria. Dr. David Perlmutter, who's the New York Times bestselling author and expert on the relationship between the brain and your gut microbiome, has written several times about dry farm wines and natural wines and the three living bacteria that exist in a natural wine because it hasn't been killed with sulfur dioxide. And sulfur dioxide is the one thing that what I've read, not a lot, but a little bit is like, is that the thing that basically gives you the hangover, gives you the headache? That's not necessarily true. It depends. Different people react to these toxic wines in different ways. And so, and we're going to talk about all the potential, but for women, the most common side effect to drinking wine is a, an adverse reaction to biogenetic amines. And the two primary ones are uh, tyramine and histamine. And so because of the way conventional wines are made, they're elevated in histamine and tyramine. This is what affects most women. When they say to you, you know, I, I love red wine, but I can't drink red wine. I only drink white wine because red wine makes me feel bad. So histamine, my husband sneezes after his first glass of red wine every single night. He has a histamine allergy. Mm -hmm. He really so, does. I mean, she kicks him, she kicks him out of the bed probably snore, at snore. least four nights a week because of the snoring and the histamine. Like he, he it's the sneezing it's the that sneezing. gives away when he first has that sip. He'll sneeze a bunch of times in a row. But then he continues to drink it anyway every <laughs> night. Absolutely he does. And he is, he loves his red wine. Well, he's not going to have that reaction from our wines because they're very low in. I'd like history. to do a taste test on this. I need to. I need yeah, to test for this sure, out. for sure. We've got to test this it. out. Yes, for sure. But women oftentimes get splotchiness, or they can have tension in their frontal lobe. These are usually amine responses, right? Amine and so, responses. I'm yeah, biogenetic amine is what it's what it's known as sulfur or sulfite. So let's we can, we can cover a whole lot, but sulfur. Depends upon how much sulfur is in a wine. Now, all wines and all fermented foods and many other foods, but anything that's fermented contains naturally occurring sulfites. So sulfites are naturally occurring in anything that's fermented, including wine. Now, the question is, has the wine been had massive doses of extra sulfur dioxide? And conventional wines see sulfur dioxide three times. One, to kill the native yeast. We'll talk about this in a minute. Number two, to kill the fermentation, to leave residual sugar behind in the wine. And number three, to sterilize it at the end. That's when you kill all the living bacteria that's in the wine. And these living bacteria are healthy for you. Natural wine doesn't have any of this process. So, but let me, let's start before we get into like what natural wine is. And before we get into the difference between conventional and natural wines, Let's talk about what the real problem is. The real problem starts with money and greed. So here's what's happened in our food supply. There's been massive corporate consolidation. Most all the food product in the world or in the United States is controlled by nine or 10 companies. The same thing has happened fueled by Wall Street money. The same thing has happened in the wine industry. So there's been massive consolidation, roll up of the wine industry. 
So you've had these massive multi-billion dollar conglomerates that have basically rolled up the wine industry. So this is around money and greed. This is not about making wine better or healthier. It's about making it faster and cheaper, right? right? And so this is what's happened. So the top three wine conglomerates in the United States make 52% of all the U.S. wines and the top 30 companies in the United States make over 70% of U.S. wines. So when you go in the grocery store into a wine shop and you see hundreds or thousands of bottles on long shelves, most of those wines are made by just a handful of companies in massive manufacturing factories located in Central California. Now, you don't know this, and everything I'm going to share with you today is easily verifiable on a Google search, right? So everything I'm going to tell you is easily verifiable. So here's the thing. All these multi-billion dollar wine conglomerates, right? They're the three largest ones. They hide behind thousands of brands and labels to confuse you. So they want you, they put a chateau on the wine label or a farmhouse or, and they want you to think that you're drinking from this cute farmhouse. Same thing you see in magazine ads. But in fact, you're drinking wines from massive factories located in the Central Valley of California. These are just the facts. The tank farms at these factories are football fields big that just have tank after tank after tank full of wine. So even though they say Napa Valley, it's Central California. Well, that's a little bit different story. So if you designate Napa Valley on your label, at least 75% of the contents need to be grown in Napa Valley. But Napa is a really, even though I live in Napa, Napa is the most prestigious wine appellation in North America. It's a really tiny amount of percentage of the overall production of wine in the United States. Napa has done a great job of marketing itself. And because of the zoning laws here that started in 1965 with the creation of the Agricultural Reserve, which prohibited development on the valley floor largely, you know, you have these sweeping kind of picturesque, which is why I live here. You have this picturesque sort of place, right? And the only thing that you can build inside of this agricultural reserve are wineries, which is why you come here and you have that experience. I had the best experience. I just want to say I got married in Napa and it was probably one of the best weekends I've ever had in my life. It's a, magic, it's a magical place. It's a magical place. It's beyond beautiful. It's magical. It's great food. It's a terrific lifestyle but it represents a tiny fraction of the wine that's actually made in the United States. But so anyway, back to this, this sort of, this sort of consolidation of the industry, that's what's driven. See all wine up until about, Oh, 50 years ago, 40, 50 years ago, all wines were natural, right? Now, naturally in their fermentation, they may have been farmed with chemicals, wouldn't make them. So the farming started in the 1920s. So we've been farming with chemicals in the United States since about 1925. And there's been a whole shift again in farming across no matter what you grow, industrial farming has changed significantly since the 1920s. And so you know, we, we had this chemical farming and that's most of, I will tell you that Roundup is, is glyphosate is the active chemical is the most applied herbicide in us vineyards. And so glyphosate's a real problem with wine. So let's talk about, that's the kind of the industry shot and kind of how this happened. Mm -hmm. 
right? And how wines went from being healthier to more toxic. But here's the big, dark, dirty secret of the wine business. There are 76 additives approved by the FDA for the use in winemaking. 76. 76. And what are some of those additives? Well, some of them are natural, right? But then some of them are quite toxic. Dimethyl dicarbonate is the most toxic one. Dimethyl dicarbonate, if you look it up on Wikipedia, will say hazard colon toxic, right? So dimethyl dicarbonate is used, it's a chemical used to treat the common, the most common bacterial faults. So when you make wine, you have bacterial problems that can go wrong. So you have healthy bacteria, but you also have bacteria problems that create what are called faults in wine, like a real barnyard smell or you know, a mousy taste. These are bacterial faults. Well, the single most common bacterial fault in winemaking is called Brettamyces. And Brettamyces leaves an off-putting aromatic and taste to the wine. This chemical, dimethyl dicarbonate, is used to treat tens of thousands of gallons of wine every year. The problem is You see these 76 additives that are approved by the FDA. And if you want to see what they are, you can go Google FDA approved wine additives. It's right out there for you. But the wine industry has been very successful at keeping these additives kind of secret. So they're not on the labels. Here's how they do that. Because there's no contents label on a wine bottle. Wine is the largest food product without a contents label. Not to mention, it also doesn't have nutritional information. So if you care about sugar... You can't see that either, right? And so, but forget about nutritional information. There's no contents label. Why is there not a contents label? This is not an accident. This is because the wine industry spent millions of dollars in lobby money in Washington, D.C. See, the TTB is the federal agency that oversees the labeling of alcohol. And so Washington determines what's on the label. The wine industry spent millions of dollars in lobby money to keep contents labeling off of wine bottles. This is not an accident, right? And the reason that they don't want a contents label is because they don't want to disclose what I'm telling you that's in the wine. Right. And they also don't want to disclose sugar because sugar is quite commonly left in wine. And we'll get to what I mean by left in wine in a moment, but it's not added. It's left in Remember, I said sulfur dioxide was used three times in conventional winemaking. One, to kill the native yeast. We'll talk about that in a moment. Number two, to kill the fermentation process. When you stop fermentation prematurely, you leave sugar behind in the wine. It's called RS or residual sugar in the industry. And we'll talk about how that gets there in just a moment, exactly all the kind of technical aspects of that. So, because it's important, I don't, you know, people think that I'm here to sell wine. I'm not really here to sell wine. I'm really here to help people get educated about if you're going to drink. And the following statement surprises a lot of people because they think hearing from the wine guy, if you're going to drink and not everyone should drink and alcohol is a very dangerous neurotoxin that ruins millions of lives every year. And so I'm not a proponent for people drinking that shouldn't be drinking, but if you're going to drink and if you choose to drink wine, which is, I think, the healthiest choice of the beverages that you can choose. And we'll get into that in a moment about why that's true. But if you're going to choose to drink wine, then you should choose to drink 
the best wine for you if you care about what you put in your body. It's the new year, and we all have that new year, new you mentality, right? And as you know, it's also the season for dry January. So many people are choosing to give up alcohol because of unwanted reactions like headaches, hangovers, and honestly, just overall blah. But what if you could drink wine and feel great at the same time? Meet Dry Farm Wines. I'm obsessed with them. Emisha is obsessed with them. And that's why we have asked Todd White to be a guest today on Lipstick on the Rim. What he's doing over at Dry Farm Wines is incredible. And we're so happy to be able to have him on to really shed some light on the wine industry. At Dry Farm Wines, they curate natural wine to meet your high health standards. I'm always trying to find healthier options to incorporate into my day-to-day routine like Emisha. We love eating and drinking ingredients that are good for our body. We're so glad that now we can do that and have wine also. Each bottle is sugar-free. Yep, that's true. And you should Google the wine you're drinking to actually see how much sugar is in it. You will be shocked. Anyways, each bottle is sugar-free, organic, and grown by a small family farm. And if you've been listening to the episode so far, you know that is a huge deal. These wines are low in alcohol and sulfites and don't have any industrial additives like dyes that stain your teeth. We have been drinking Dry Farm wines now for a while, and let me tell you, I feel so different when I drink wines from Dry Farm wines. I literally have no hangover. I don't feel bad drinking them because I don't have to worry about my sugar intake or additives, and I love knowing that I'm getting a great quality wine. You have to try Dry Farm wines. I know you're going to love it, whether you're vegan, paleo, keto, carb, whatever, just care about what you put in your body. This is the wine for you. Dry Farm Wines is offering our listeners an extra bottle in your first box for one penny. It has to be a penny because it's alcohol. It can't be free. See all the details and collect your wine at dryfarmwines.com slash lipstick. That's dryfarmwines.com. D-R-Y farm, F-A-R-M wines, W-I-N-E-S.com slash lipstick, L-I-P-S-T-I-C-K. And Michelle, I made the switch a few months ago and I'm telling you, you're gonna love it. I have a question. So just because I'm a little like mind blown emoji. So there is no way for me to, there's no resource online. There's no way for me to say, I love XYZ bottle of wine. I'm so curious as to which of these 76 additives they have in their bottle. There's no, right now there doesn't exist any of, I have zero ability to find out what it has. Zero. Zero ability to find out how much sugar. I mean, and I'm not even worried about this. I'm worried about these additives because it sounds like the additives are really toxic. Well, there's absolutely no resource. And the only way to know that you're drinking sugar-free wine is if you're drinking our wine because we lab test it. You can't always taste sugar in wine. Now, if it's a dessert wine or, you know, a or, really sweet yeah. wine, obviously a port, you're going to taste sugar. But if you're talking about standard red wines or, or, or white wines, you know, just regular, you can't taste, you can't, even as taste masters, we can't always taste the sugar. Sometimes I can feel it, but I can't taste it. But the additives part, like, so there's the ability to lab test food, right? To see what toxins and, and, and chemicals are in it. Is there the ability to do that with wine and it just hasn't been done yet? Well, we're the only company that does lab testing. So you're the we only do- company who does lab testing on wine. We're the only company that does lab testing. That is crazy. We care about this because this is our personal ethos, is how we live. So you know right? which wines have the additives. You just haven't revealed it, is the, is the gist of it. 
you just reveal which ones. Well, they don't, don't get have they, it. they don't get the stamp. Yeah. So Unless- uh, so we have a certification process mm-hmm. that each, as you can see, is a dry farm wine certified product. Mm-hmm. And so that certification process is over and beyond just being yeah. natural. We know it's additive free, but we have a number of criteria. So it has to be sugar free. Mm-hmm. Not all natural wines are sugar free. It has to be lower in alcohol. Not all natural wines are lower in alcohol. What is your typical, when you say lower in alcohol, what's your typical bottle of wine? How much alcohol? Your typical bottle of wine in the United States is averaging almost 15% now. We don't sell anything over 12 and a half. And most of what I drink is nine or 10%. Just because I love wine, but I don't love excess alcohol, which is why in the biohacking community and the health community, which I am a speaker and a participant and very active in, have been for many years, you know, there's this thought that drinking tequila is, you know, is a clean sort of distilled way to drink. And that We're guilty should, of that. We're guilty of that. Yeah, for sure. There's no judgment there. But my problem with tequila is it's 45% alcohol. And so if I want to drink something that's lower in alcohol, I'm not going to drink spirits. But you also well, drink a lot less of it, right? Like, because you're diluting it with a lot of soda and a lot, you know what I mean? Is that, does that make a difference or no? Depends on how you drink. Yeah. You know, alcohol, the other problem with alcohol, and, you know, people think, oh, God, you're so anti-alcohol. Well, no, not really, but but we've got we to gotta deal with, we have to deal with the facts. The other problem with alcohol is that it's a domino drug, just like cocaine. What I mean by domino drug is that the more you do, the more likely you are to do more, right? And so this is where you get on the slippery slope of higher alcohol is that, you know, the more we drink, sure, if you have a shot of tequila with, you know, 18 ounces of soda, well, that's great. But that's not how most people drink. Mm-hmm. You know, they have to have a shot of tequila with a little salt and some lime and maybe chase that with some soda, right? Or, you know, it's just a slippery slope. And so for me, I, I want to, like, have my best shot at having a great buzz and an open heart and a window of vulnerability and a great time and a lot of laughing without getting, you know, kind of hammered. Well, I just think it's so funny because we have, I actually will tell you right now, I have at least half a dozen friends right now who have been told for various reasons that they can't drink wine for their their overall health because, you know, whether they had a gluten intolerance or this intolerance or whatever it was. And this, I feel like, is the answer to all of their prayers because they do. They just love, they, they, they would, you know, call me up. Becky would be like, I just, I love my wine. I, I love having a glass of wine. And I think the answer is kind of in what you said. And it's not that she just, you know, loves to, to, to throw back a bunch of glasses of wine. But for her, it's just, it's going to dinner and having a nice, delicious meal and pairing it with a really beautiful glass of wine. There's nothing better. It just, it, plus it rolls that window of vulnerability down just a little bit and it rises up that euphoria of love. Yeah. And so, of course, but the, your friends that you speak of, I promise you, it's, they can drink this wine. Now, I'm talking about lower alcohol, natural wine. Whether they get it from us or not doesn't matter, but it will change their life. The problem is it's super hard to find, right? right? And, and in our case, again, it's not about selling our wine, but in our case, we're the only place where you're going to get a lab tested, quantified product from people who care about their body. Boom. Right? <laughs> Boom. And He's showing us his guns, guys. Showing us yeah. his guns, guys, and he is built. 
So I'm just, I care deeply about what I put in my body. I care deeply about the aging process. I feel you know, deeply about having, extending my health span and I like to drink and I drink every day. And the only day I don't drink is when I'm on an extended water fast. Mm-hmm. And so if, except during extended water fast, I drink every day. I generally drink a bottle of wine a day and I have zero negative impact from it. Now, if I drank a bottle of conventional wine, I'd feel horrible. Yeah. Both yeah. at the time of consuming it and the next morning. So I have a question for you because I will say I, my husband is a bit of a wine snob. And so he- and so is my neighbor. <laughs> and he is very particular. He likes his, you know, Cabernets from Napa. And likes his Camus. He likes the like, heavy, heavy cab. He likes a heavy cab. So what do you say to somebody like him? Like, what can he expect from your wine? Will he be equally satisfied, fulfilled? Will it check the box for him in a similar way? Are there options for those individuals? There are certain varietals that speak more to that style. But here's the, and this is a common issue. Natural wines are not made that way. So there's a couple of issues that, of the style of wine that that you're talking about. It's a winemaking style. So first of all, there's a lot of new oak. We don't allow any new oak in our wines. The reason for that is because it imparts methanol and other issues we believe are unhealthy. And I get a headache from drinking oak wines. Explain what, give us a couple of examples of oak wines. Any of your traditional kind of Napa Valley big cabs of see new oak. I mean, it's just sort of, it's a winemaking style. Also, they tend to be higher in alcohol, right? So they're 14, 14 and a half, 15, 15 and a half percent. Alcohol adds density and weight to wine, right? So when you drink our wines and lower alcohol, they're lighter and fresher. Right. For somebody who's accustomed and likes this big, giant wine experience, it's not the same. But I will tell you this, here's what, here's what they should do is drink our wines for a week and then they won't be able to go back and drink the other wine. Yeah. They'll be like, uh, uh, because we, our palate gets trained. Our palate gets trained to an expectation. Well, it's what we were talking yeah. about, you know, you had a little episode during Halloween cause you're like, I'm not used to drinking. Yeah. Like I used to. Yeah. I got, I have, I cut back my drinking significantly in the last year and I drank a little bit more. I got a little overserved on Halloween and woke up in the middle of the night and didn't feel my finest. No, yeah. of course you're not. You're dehydrated. It's horrible. Yeah. Wake up at 2 a.m. Yeah. Then you can't go back to sleep because, you know, you got that monkey mind running. Yeah. You know, all you're going to be thinking about all the things you should have done yesterday and stuff you need to do tomorrow. Yeah. And, you know, so so waking up in the middle of the night is a terrible thing. Alcohol will do that. Excess alcohol will create dehydration. And that's what I think a lot of women and men experience is they wake up, they have the headache, they're severely like just head to toe dehydrated because it's a they haven't drank enough water, but they've probably drank a bottle of wine and didn't even realize it. Yeah, it's easy to drink a bottle of wine, but I, so for these people who like this style of wine, our wines are not going to taste like that because they're not made in that style. The other thing that causes this exaggeration in histamines is maceration, which is how red wine gets its color, right? So there's a whole bunch of problems there. Number one, Americans believe that the darker a red wine is, the better quality it is. And there's no truth to that, but that's what they believe. So how red wine gets its color is 
from soaking on the skins, the juice and the skin soaking together, that's how red wine gets its color. The longer you let that soak, which is called a maceration, the longer you let that soak, the darker the wine gets. Also, the higher in these biogenetic amines it gets as well. And a lot of other, it gets higher in tannins, which give the wine more structure. Yep. Right. And so these are all winemaking styles that are very familiar to Napa and other regions of pedigreed wines that have this kind of density and largeness, right? The thing is that largeness affects you in different ways that you probably don't even realize. And the only way he would realize the way he's being affected by this kind of largeness is to stop drinking it for a week and drink an alternate product and then go back to it. So if I go on your site and I want to order some wines for him, what would you say if he likes a Cabernet, what would be like two wines to put into my box? A Syrah, a Malbec, Cabernet Franc, or Cabernet. We sell Cabernet, just it doesn't, it's not made in the same style of what he's accustomed to. And I love a Sauvignon Blanc. So what would be your version of a, do you make a Sauvignon Blanc? We do have Sauvignon Blancs. There's any number of crisp, beautiful grape types that produce a Sauvignon Blanc type of wine. You know, we sell Chardonnay too, just not a lot of it, but the Chardonnays we sell are not oaked, mm. right? They're, they're very, so they're super clean. They're usually made in stainless steel. And so they're super fresh and precise and have a very bright mineral edge to them and a lot of salinity. They're just beautiful. Well, I'm t- trying this out for a week for sure with I know. Mike. I tell you, I make a difference. I, I know women who've literally switched to the dry farm wines. They'll drink anything that's on the site and they feel so much better and they've actually lost weight. Look, proof is in the pudding. I mean, if people, you know, people experiment with it and drink it for like a week, then they're like, oh, wow, this is really different. Mm-hmm. I mean, how I feel is very different. Also, how I feel during the buzz is very different. It's more elevated. It's more euphoric. It's fresher. What are your favorite wines from the company? Yeah, for me, I only drink super low alcohol wines. So I drink wines between 8 and 11%. Mm-hmm. 9 10% was like really my target zone. And then I prefer really light-skinned, very light red wines like a Pinot Duny, a Schiava from Italy, a Pinot, even Pinot Noir. So I like really light, fresh wines because I drink a lot of wine, you right. know, every day. And so I, lo- I love a white. I don't know why I, I've switched over, but I've lately, like, I, I, I just got back from Italy a little while ago now, but I really, I don't know, I had some great light, you know, whites and it just, it was so refreshing and it wasn't, I don't know. I just, when I came back, I, I was like, I don't want anything like crazy. Like I'm over like the Justin cabs and the. The white wines that we sell are, are because they're lower in alcohol and they're sugar-free and this winemaking style that's very precise and crisp. They're just easy to drink. They're mm-hmm. just lovely, you know, just like super easy to drink. We're not, you know, we're not trying to overdo a white wine experience, Right. I mean, there's a lot of white wines around the world that's put a lot of effort into making the wine big, right? And we just take a, a different approach. We want something to be fresh and light and easy and super food friendly, right? And so 
That's just, let me stop for a second and define exactly what natural wine means. Okay. What is a natural wine? So natural wines are always biodynamic or organically farmed. And biodynamic farming is an advanced prescriptive form of organic farming that began in the 1920s by an Austrian scientist named Rudolf Steiner. And biodynamic, you can research it online, but it basically is a prescriptive form. It's always organic and it also farms with lunar cycles. So it follows the moon and the tides for certain processes. But biodynamic or organic farming always. Number two, it's always fermented. Natural wines are always fermented with wild indigenous native yeast. Well, what does that mean? What does that? Yeah, what does that mean? Yeah, I mean, I know it's kind of a mouthful. Wild indigenous yeast? Wild indigenous native yeast. Native yeast. So what that means is that in each vineyard, there is an indigenous yeast in the air that's unique to that vineyard. At the time of harvest, all grape berries, I don't care how they're grown or where they're from, all grape berries at the time of harvest have a white waxy film on the skin of the berry. You can scrape it off with your fingernail. That's actually yeast. And that yeast is collected naturally and natively through the air in that vineyard. That yeast is used exclusively in natural wines. That is the yeast used to ferment the wine. And we'll talk about the fermentation process in a moment. But it's always used as this wild native yeast for what's called a spontaneous fermentation. Because everything is already there to make wine. The yeast is there and the sugar and the fruit is there. Well, again, I'll come back to winemaking in a moment to, to explain how that works. But commercial wines, conventional wines, do not use this native yeast as their fermentation. Commercial wines, all the wines you see in the store, those wines are fermented with GMO lab-cultured yeast. Now, why do they use this lab-cultured yeast as opposed to why not just use the wild native yeast? Well, there's several reasons. One, you can't make wine in very large volumes using the native yeast. It's too unstable. It requires too much coddling. Number two, a native yeast will die in a higher alcohol environment. And number three, these commercial lab-grown modified yeast, you can buy them in different flavor profiles. So if you want to, if you want to make a red wine that tastes like it's from Italy, they have a yeast for that. Now, what do you mean by that? Also, well, here's the easiest way to understand it. You guys are familiar, particularly during COVID, that there was like a, a sourdough baking craze, right? People making sourdough bread. And they would be passing around their favorite mother, the mother yeast, because this mother had a better flavor than the other mother, right? You guys are familiar with the mother thing? Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. Yeast, all yeast impart a different flavor. And so you can modify these yeasts to impart different flavors. And so that's the reason that, that they use these. The lab cultured yeast are grown to be very sturdy. You make wine in very large volumes. They're very strong and easy to work with, right? So... Natural wines never use the lab-grown yeast. They're always a native wild indigenous yeast. And number three, natural wines are additive-free. So those are the three things that make a natural wine. And There's worldwide agreement on what those are in the wine business. Everybody knows if they say a natural wine, that's what it means. 
Conventional wines, on the other hand, are oftentimes, well, the other thing for dry farm wines, the name of our company, Dry Farm Wines, is that we don't allow irrigation in the growing of our grapes. Really? And there's a whole bunch of reasons for that. But irrigation is bad for the planet. It's bad for the vine. And it produces a, a fruit of lower quality. Now, why do you irrigate? Money. Irrigation is easier and cheaper. It's easier to farm. And it creates more weight in the fruit. The fruit's sold by the ton. So if you irrigate a grapevine, you're going to get a larger yield. You're going to get bigger cluster. And it might not surprise you if you fill a grape berry full of water, it's going to weigh more. Right? Fruit sold by the ton. Over 99% of U.S. vineyards are irrigated. So I didn't mention this earlier, but you'll notice when you get wine from us, we don't sell any domestic wine. So all of our wines are grown in Europe, South America, and South Africa, because there are no U.S. wines that meet our criteria of purity and health. So if someone wanted to start a vineyard and follow all of the processes you have that would make them certified, they could. And they could be, under, they could dry be under dry farm wine. wines. But they just don't, it doesn't exist in this country. There's a whole bunch of reasons why there are no d- domestic wines that fit our criteria. The f- number one reason right out of the box is irrigation. Mm-hmm. So more than 99% of U.S. vineyards are irrigated. And so that, it, that, that, number one, that knocks almost everybody out. Number two is alcohol. There's almost no lower alcohol wines made in the United States. And then number three is price. So our wines are not expensive. And you can't, you'd be hard pressed to find an organically farmed, dry farmed, lower alcohol wine in the United States that sells for $25 a bottle. All of our wines are priced at the same price. So, and they're all $25 a bottle, which is a great value for a handcrafted natural product. And see, I always go by the price as it so being I. better. So I'm always like, oh, well, it's $50. It's better than the $25 bottle. It's $100. Like I'm really, it's a special night. There's no truth to that. There's zero truth to that. But there are plenty of studies to validate it. There are plenty of studies that show if you give the consumer two paper bags with wine bottles on and they're both the same bottle, and the bottle costs $25, and you tell one of them costs 90 and this one costs 25 which one tastes better? And they'll tell you the $90 one every single time. Every single time. It's the same wine. But you know it's the same wine, right? And so now on the cost side, on the downside, you can't buy, you'd be very hard pressed to buy at retail a quality bottle of wine under $20. You can't. No. I mean, it would be right. very so difficult. There's, there's, yeah, there's just this sweet spot at 25 where you can get a high quality wine that's handcrafted. And natural wines are not expensive. The reason being is because nobody knows what they are. So Americans buy brands. So you go into the store and you buy a brand you know, or one you've seen in a magazine, or one your friend likes, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have this obscure natural wine that nobody's ever heard of. <laughs> Nobody buys it, right? And so the only reason we sell so much of it, we're the largest buyer and reseller of natural wines in the world. The only reason we sell so much of it is because people depend on a criteria, lab-tested, quantified drinking experience that also tastes delicious. If it doesn't taste delicious, we don't buy it, right? And so people love our palate. And then in addition to the fact that it tastes delicious, they're getting our seal of certification 
from people they trust, the people they know who live the same life they do, committed to the same values they're committed to about what they put in their body, right? Because for us, it's not marketing spend. It's how we live, right? I mean, it's just our lifestyle. If you like a Brunello, for example, that's Italian grown in Italy. Is that a better for you wine than a Cabernet that you would buy? In Napa? No. No. Really? Uh, just because it's just because it's European doesn't mean it's better quality. It doesn't mean it's healthier. Brunellos are typically high in alcohol. They're very extracted. They're very much like a Cabernet in that regard. They're very big wines, right? They have the additives. They're fifty-six additives approved in the EU. Oh wow! So which wines have additives in them? I couldn't tell you because there's no contents label in Europe either. Now France claims that they're going to start putting contents labels on bottles in 2023. We don't know that this is going to happen, but they say that they are going to do it. That'll be a huge leap forward. France also announced this past July that they will be the first country to certify natural wines. That's not like, it's not quite the certification we have, but they will have a certification that says this is a natural wine, meaning it's organic or biodynamic, it's native yeast fermentation, and it's additive-free. Right, so they'll be the first country to have a natural wine certification. It's a huge step. I mean, huge. France is like, you know, kind of the home of the wine. Right. Well, France is also the home, sort of the home of the natural wine revolution. So there's more oh, natural it? wine being farmed. There's more wine, natural wine farmed in Italy and France than any other country in the world. Why do you think that is? I'm curious. I think the French, well, I mean, the French have always been sort of the kings and queens of wine. Right. I mean, the best wines in the world historically have been made in France. And so there's just a gigantic winemaking community there, wine growing community. There were just people who wanted to get away from chemical farming and the chemical use and additives in winemaking. And like their forebearers, many, many, many natural wine farms. We work with about 800 small family farms around the world. And m- many of them are multi-generational farms. And so they had this ethos. They're like hippie activists. These farmers had this ethos that they wanted to preserve living soils. Because for a natural wine farmer, the thing he most obsesses over is, is the connected source energy of nature where everything is connected. And also to the living soil. So when you go, you know, when you come to Napa, and it's a great experience, and you go to this fancy tasting room and this architectural gem, and you go into a tasting room and you taste a bunch of wine. When you go to a natural wine farm, there is no tasting room. And the very first thing the farmer wants to do is take you to the vineyard and talk about the soil and have you hold the soil and feel the mineral composition of the soil. Everything for the natural wine farmer is about living soil health. Right. When you go to a natural wine farm, when you come to Napa, you can see under the vines, it's just bare. Right. Like there's just it's just dark bare. When you go to a natural wine farm, you'll oftentimes see weeds and flowers and herbs and things chest high growing right up into the vineyard. Right. Because that's how nature functions. Nature functions when all things are present for biodiversity, insects, you know, and snails. And ladybugs and ducks and chickens and orchards and bees, right? That's how you connect everything together in nature where it functions correctly. And that's how natural farms operate. That's how that, yeah. 
Okay, we have a couple really quick questions we want to ask, and then we want to get to a little bit of a rapid fire. But a lot of people, which is why we wanted to have you on, on your website, it says natural wines can build a better gut. Can you explain that? Well, just as we talked about earlier in the podcast, Dr. David Perlmutter, who's one of the leading experts in New York Times bestselling author on the micro, uh, the gut microbiome, uh, because natural wines, again, have not been sterilized with sulfur dioxide that kills all the living bacteria. There are gut-friendly bacteria that are alive in natural wines. They're not in conventional wines because they've been sterilized with sulfur dioxide before bottling. And the reason they do that is so they have a very consistent bottle-to-bottle experience. Because remember, if it's a living wine, you might have bottle-to-bottle variation because it's got living bacteria in it. Conventional wines don't have any living bacteria. They've been killed. Everything's been sterilized at the time of bottling. Does that mean that that natural wines don't stay as fresh as long because there's bacteria in it or no? Natural wine will not have the same shelf life Mm -hmm. as a conventional wine because it is alive. So Mm -hmm. natural wines typically are drank in the first two to four years. And so I've drank natural wines five or six years old that are fine. there's, There's nothing flawed about them, but 90% 90% of wines are drank within 24 hours of purchase. Yeah. Right. And so, and so I buy wine, I buy wine to drink. I'm not trying to lay wine down to store it. I want to drink wine. I'm going to buy wine and I drink the wine that I buy. So, I mean, it's, you know, I'm, I drink wine when it gets to my house. <laughs> so it's not that for me and for people who care about drinking natural wines, they're not thinking about aging it. Yeah. So, but yes. So because it is alive, it's something that you drink sooner than later, meaning not 10 years from now, right? We've had so many women reach out about trying to lose weight, but do they have to give up alcohol? Do you have to? And we've had so many, especially Dr. Cole come on. And again, it's about the alcohol content and the sugars. And he's like, you can still drink, again, depending on what you drink and how you drink. But I do feel like I have a better understanding because I've heard about you for a while now, dry farm um, wines and a little bit of behind the certification, but I never realized that I could never see how much sugar was in a bottle of wine or how much alcohol was actually in a bottle of wine. I mean, I never realized that because I kind of just never know. I'm always like, well, how much sugar am I drinking? Like how many carbs is this? And there's not, you don't really, there's no real cut answer. Well, if you drink our wines, they're sugar-free. You know that for sure. Other than that, you don't have any idea how, you don't have any idea how much sugar is in it. It depends on, you know, when you talk about weight loss, it depends. Now, Will Cole and I happen to believe the same thing. So, and everybody's a little bit different, but Will Cole and I have a similar view on what causes weight gain, a similar view on what causes chronic disease which is the overproduction of insulin, right? Which is due to too high blood glucose, the, the consumption of too much sugar. And so we happen to both have a similar view on that. That's not true for everybody because everybody's body's a little bit different, but I care very much about the blood, the, about the sugar that I consume. I care very much about my blood glucose. And, and so, in fact, the last panel I was on with Will was for a continuous glucose monitoring 
company that like I'm not diabetic, but I, I at times wear a continuous glucose monitor on the back of my arm to so I can get a read on what type foods impact my blood sugar. What kind of foods do you like that will help with your blood sugar? I have a very specific, I'm modified ketogenic. I've been keto for uh, about seven years. I only eat once per day. So I, I water fast all day. So I do 22 or 21 or 22 hour intermittent fasting every day. Mm-hmm. Every so day? For me, every day for the last five years. Oh my God. So you were disciplined. So, well, once you become acclimated to burning ketones as your primary energy source and not glucose, it's super easy. You're never hungry. Like I last ate at six o'clock last night and it's two o'clock in the afternoon in California right now. And I won't eat again until six o'clock tonight. We had Will on and I talk about like, sometimes like if I'll fast, then I'll eat. I feel tired when I don't eat. I'm not tired. It's like this. I always say it seems strange to me, but now I'm starting more and more through talking about it to really understand why sometimes not eating does give me energy. Well, it does, look, it takes a lot of energy to digest food. Like I wouldn't dream of eating right now. I'd be, I'd have to lay down. I mean, I haven't eaten in the middle of the day in over, over five years. When you do eat your one meal tonight at six o'clock, give it to us. Like, well, it has to be absolutely delicious. I mean, I would imagine that one meal has to be fulfilling. Well, I think every meal should be fulfilling, right? But I mean, I mean I, like, if it's just one meal a day, give us a, a typical daily meal for you. It's pretty boring, in fact. I'll probably have a cheeseburger with no bun. I don't eat bread and a salad. And uh, I might have a handful of French fries because I happen to like them, but I don't eat a lot of them. We love French but fries. But I like the, fry. I love French fries, right? But or last night I had, I had a bowl of French onion soup without any bread. Normally French onion soup has bread in it, but I have this French press place near where I live that makes it for me without bread. I had a Lyonnaise salad, which is a frisee salad with bacon and a poached egg in it. And then I had a steak. I had a grilled steak. That was my dinner. I went home. I drank a bottle of wine with that. And then I went home and and I had some goat yogurt and nuts and some blueberries, you know, which are super low in sugar and along with the yogurt. I do have one question that I think I I would venture to guess a lot of our listeners would be curious. What made you be like, were, were you a big wine drinker? What brought this interest on for you? What turned you into this person who really uncovered so much about the wine industry, what brought you to this point? And how did you start this business? I know it's the end of our podcast, but I really do have to ask. I'm very curious. Yeah, it, it didn't start off as a business. It, it started off as I was looking for a better way to drink. I'd stopped drinking for a while because wine was making me feel so bad. I thought it was, I thought it was because I was aging and I, I, I thought it was because it, I was drinking too much alcohol and so I had, I had started experimenting at the time. This is seven years ago. I'd started experimenting with what I'll call a therapeutic ketogenic diet, which is super keto, not generally sustainable for most people. I did it for about two years before I went to what I'll call the modified ketogenic diet, which kind of looks more like Atkins. But a therapeutic ketogenic diet is super, super strict. And so I thought some people, when they convert to a ketogenic diet, find that their tolerance of alcohol is much lower. 
I didn't know what it was. It could have been a whole bunch of cofactors. Could have been getting older. It can also be the stress in your life. It's just like, but I couldn't. I was having a real problem drinking wine, and I didn't drink anything else. And I've been a lifelong wine drinker, and used to drink spirits when I was young and partying, but had given that up like 25 years ago, and had just been drinking wine. So I went to this friend who I thought was the smartest person in the wine business, knew the most about wine. And we were on vacation in Mexico. And I said, Hey, I'm thinking about making some low alcohol wine because I can't really drink wines anymore. And, and I don't like the experience I'm having with them. And he said, have you drank any of the low alcohol wines out of Europe? And I was like, no, I've never heard of it. This is before I knew anything about natural wine. And then long story short, I accidentally stumbled quite accidentally meeting an American who was living in Paris, importing natural wines into the United United States who were also low alcohol. It was a complete accident that this all happened, but I I was sort of looking for a better way to drink. I started drinking these wines from this Parisian and I was like, oh, wow, these taste great. And they're also, I feel great. So that started. And then because I lived in Napa and I knew something about analogy, I started doing lab testing on them. And just sort of developed, just was trying to, I was not working at the time and I was trying to figure out how to quantify this and, you know, make reason out of all of it. So over time, I started sharing these wines with friends and other athletes and biohacking friends. And they're like, God, your wines are great. And I feel great the next day. Where do you get them? I'm like, well, you can't. Right. And so then we did, then I just sort of created this business around it that, I didn't have any idea if it would be successful or not. And then we became the official wine. I guess the first thing that happened was we became the official wine for Bulletproof Coffee for Dave Asprey and kind of the Bulletproof. That was the beginning became, of it. Amazing. I have a lot of friends who are going to be very thankful. Oh, my God. I, I, I swear I, I'm changing it for this podcast. I know. I'm going to be ordering are, wine. I know. I'm going to be ordering. Okay, a little bit of rapid fire, Todd, before we go. First of all, where is your accent from? I was born in Charleston, South Carolina. I, I love Charleston. We love Charleston. We love it. Love yeah, Charleston. It's, it's great. It's All great. right. Are you ready? Red, white, or rosé? Red. If the toilet paper roll is really low, but not completely out, do you replace it or leave it for someone else? Replace it. I love you. All-time favorite book? Uh, the Power of Now. Go-to cocktail. Kidding. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Are you a morning person or a night person? Morning. Coffee or tea? Tea. Ultimate pet peeve? Apathy. Incompetence. If you owned a yacht, what would you name it? Wow. What would I name a yacht? Uh, Ginger. I don't know. Where would you go if you were invisible? Oh, wow. Where would I go if I were invisible? To the White House. Ooh. Best advice you ever received? Meditate. But there's a couple of parts on that. Meditate would be number one, but also don't compare your inside to someone else's outside. A very common mistake we make. And then number three, forgive yourself. We hold ourselves to a very high standard. And then we compare our inside to somebody else's outside and we're holding ourselves to an unreasonable standard that just isn't real because they're suffering in the same way we do. It's just we don't see it. Todd White, I ask this question every week. If you could give your 10-year-old self advice, what would it be? Forgive yourself. 10 is a tough time. 
mm. where we're comparing our outside, we're comparing everyone else's outside, how we perceive them to our inside, our weakness, our vulnerability, our uncertainty, our lack of confidence and self-awareness to people we perceive are somehow have it figured out. And in fact, they don't have it figured out either. It's just our perception of them. So that's where self-forgiveness becomes very powerful. Are you married? Yeah. <laughs> we can say that. <laughs> um, okay. We are going to take a break, you guys. Thank you, Todd. You're incredible. You guys, follow Todd White at Dry Farm Wines. Founder Thank you, Dr. Will of, Cole, yeah. for introducing Thank us. you, Dr. Will Cole. Like, literally, we spent so much time on um, the podcast actually talking about you, but we really appreciate taking the time. And I know it's hard to talk about wines, but we really want, you know, that part of our life, like, because we do drink and we— it's like you said, it's part of our lifestyle and we want to live it a little bit better and a little bit healthier. And we feel like it's now becoming in the zeitgeist. And I'm sure you can feel it. More and more people are wanting and questioning what they're eating, what they're drinking. And I think this is just the beginning for you guys. So if you want that certification, go to Dry Farm Wines. Drink without the hangover, guys. Drink That's without really the, the hangover. There's one takeaway here. It's There's a lot of options for you on this site for... Sugar-free, good-for-you wine. Yeah. It exists. You're amazing. I'm going to go order a bunch of wine right now. And thank you so much. Thank you so much. That's a wrap on Lipstick on the Rim. You guys, be sure to tune in next week. You're going to be obsessed. Thanks for listening to Lipstick on the Rim with Molly Sims and my ride or die, Emma Shagormali. We are so excited to bring you guys along on this journey. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Lipstick on the Rim and Molly B. Sims or my website where you can dive just a little bit deeper into my favorite products, trends, and more at mollysims.com. This podcast is a production with Dear Media. Wanted to give a special thanks to my team, Ashley Gasparian, Schaefer Carrillo, Ashley Sanchez, and Michelle Harrison and everyone at Dear Media. Don't forget to listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss out on the fun.